From Real FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, April 25th, 2019. This is episode 101, Painting Something Pink. Welcome back to Download, where we cover the most interesting technology stories of the week. I'm Jason Snell, and I am not joined by Stephen Hackett this week. He is busy with other important matters, but I am joined by one of my very favorite Download guests. It's Carolina Milanese from Creative Strategies. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, we're recording this a little bit early. If people sometimes people write in and they're like, "Jason's voice seemed deeper." It's like usually it's I didn't sleep <laughs> well, or it's oh. very it's very early in the morning, or something like that. Um, a lot of stuff going on this week, but I think we need to start with the Samsung Galaxy Fold, uh, which of course is the folding phone that they announced a while ago, and they got in the hands of reviewers last week. And the initial responses were all very positive about the device and how it's a very you know intriguing new. Uh, I, I was going to say wrinkle, although that, I. Guess I guess that could be taken as an insult, depending on how you feel about that folding <laughs> screen. Um, and then something very strange happened, which is that a lot of the people who had it started to uh, uh, report that it broke. And that led to Samsung uh, asking for all the phones back and delaying the release date. And it's possible they may have to make some changes to the phone. Um, I, I guess we need to start with the fact that you are one of the people who got a review unit of the Galaxy Fold. I did, and uh, uh, mine was perfectly fine. Um, still working, it's still working away. Uh, I had no issues at all with it, and and uh, I'm sure people have followed what happened. But there were two issues: one that um, people didn't. Uh, know that there was a protective layer on top of the screen, which is plastic, not glass, because we haven't found a way to bend glass yet. Uh, yet. Although there are companies <laughs> like Corning mm-hmm. that are trying to do that. Um, and uh, there was a protective layer on top that looked a lot like some of the protective screens that you see now more and more phone shipping with. Um, I, so when you open a box, there's this layer and, and, um, uh, I wasn't compelled to touch mine. <laughs> Uh, just because there was no no real angle where it was lifting or anything that uh, right. made me feel like it didn't belong where it was. But some reporters had uh, issues with that where uh, it was either lifting or it, it was very obvious there was something. So they peeled it off and by doing that, they damaged the screen. And then and and that i think is something that you know warning on the box uh, very specifically or just having told the reviewers that you know that was supposed to stay on uh, can be solved the other ones that were interesting were where some form of debris looked like made its way under the protective screen and therefore damaging uh, the screen. And I think those were uh, the instances, and I think there, there were three altogether um, that needed to be investigated. And it seems from the statement that Samsung put out that um, there might be uh, some redesign or rethinking around the two end of the edge in, of the hinge in the middle. So the top and the bottom of the phone as actually an air gap that would allow uh, debris or substances to make its way uh, under the protective layer and therefore 
potentially damaging the screen. Uh, and, I, and I think that's probably what we'll see uh, in, uh, in a revised um, kind of version. Uh, there wasn't anything else with the, with the phone that, uh, you know, that, that was wrong, so to speak, with it. Um, I, I don't know why people, especially who haven't tried, talked about this being a prototype and not ready for prime time and all of that, because... I started to wonder, and I talked about this in my piece that I published yesterday on Tech Pinions, if maybe what has happened, and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to uh, explain or uh, justify, or I'm, I'm just trying to think through what the possible cause of this might have been different than Samsung did this on purpose. They knew it was flawed and they sell, sold it anyway, right? Because I, I don't think that that's it. Yeah, I don't believe that. that there's, too mu- there's too much downside to something like that. Something, Correct. There was Obviously, something went wrong here, though, because you should never be surprised. I, I think, and maybe it's all the years of, of uh, dealing with Apple PR, but like those products, I know they check those products before they put them back in the box and send them to right. me. And so that was what surprised me is that that Samsung was seemingly surprised, and I believe actually surprised yeah. by what happened with the reviewers, because you should you should never hand a product to a product reviewer if you're a company without knowing exactly how it's going to go. <laughs> but I, this is where I think that there might be uh, like a culture, and I don't know this for sure. I did ask the question. Um, you know very well that the companies here take the phones in the wild, right? They might put a protective screen, whatever, they disguise them, but they use them, right? They right. use them for months before they get to the production unit. And so they have a real life experience. So they have, you know, I don't know if they eat up, you know, in and out or whatever, but you know, they have the greasy fingers. They have the, the phone in the pocket for what? I don't know if that's part of culture or not in Korea. I don't know if that happens. I don't know if engineers, you know, take the phone out of the labs and, and do that, um, before, um, before this thing ships. And I think that if that hadn't, happen that might be you know a very simple explanation of life happens to phones uh, versus you know we've had it in a contained environment of the lab where we folded them for i don't know how many times i said they folded and we saw the pictures of the robots right you know in, f- opening and closing in a dust-free and lab we've- correct in a dust-free <laughs> lab all you know all protected where nothing is going to make its way anywhere because there's nothing there so i do wonder if if uh, you know and, and again it's no excuse because you should have thought about it but it, you know, is a simpler explanation of maybe they need to do more of that. Yeah, obviously there's some disconnect that happened here, and it, it, it's a little bit baffling because this is such a, a, a an interesting product, and everybody's going to be uh, excited about it. And then then there was just that moment, which is like, did they not understand what this uh, was going to kind of do? And I, credit to the reviewers who who did say you know or admit to breaking their phones that yes. they seem to have led Samsung to realize, well, there this is too high a percentage of uh, oh. negative reports. We need to make some adjustments to the product. Uh, in order to in order to ship this because can you imagine and if they just ship this you know thousands of these totally it's not going to be a high volume product but they're going to ship it and they're going to have a return rate or a you know a broken phone rate in the i don't know half of them a quarter of them you know, maybe given the dust in the world maybe eventually all of them it's not not good so at least they got that chance and and i think this speaks to what we 
you know, as consumers, I was having this this conversation with uh, Ian has seen it over Twitter, and he was saying, you know, we're too used to now abuse these phones um, because we're used to Gorilla Glass and whatnot, and and we do all sorts of things with them. And and in fairness, you see a lot of people, you know, walking around with broken screens, yes. and they don't seem to mind, right? Um, but I do think that's where Samsung can do more as far as telling a story. You know, I think that um, Samsung has changed a lot, but they're yet to be a good storyteller. And I think if I, I, you know, I was sitting and imagining this being an iPhone and, uh, you know, it wouldn't be called the fold, but, um, you know, and, and Apple being able to tell the story of the technology behind the screen and make you believe that, Yes, obviously, to bend things, they have to be softer. They have to be, uh, by, by the fact that you need to bend them less durable or less, you know, strong than we've been used to. And therefore, this is, it's not a compromise. It's just where it is, right? And, and it was fascinating to me to hear some, to, to read some of the comments of people saying, well, you know, we should have waited for glass. And I was like, okay, but even <laughs> glass ain't going to be gorilla glass, you know? <laughs> That's designed not to break, not to bend, not to do anything. Yeah, so be- bendable glass is, if it is ever a thing, I don't see how that's going to be much different from plastic, right? Like you can always wait for the next thing, but you might be correct. waiting a while for for the glass version. And I wonder if we are just like that, if we're not patient anymore, or we forget, you know, what has come before. Like now, you know, we don't threat when. Uh, water spills over our phones. I remember putting my phone in, in rice when by mistake, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a glass of water went over it, you know, praying for 24 hours that it would dry up. You know, we've been there. There's been stuff like that. And, and maybe that's, you know, a mix of we've forgotten, but also the story wasn't told, um, as well as it could have been. So let's get to the, um, the phone itself. You, yes. you did spend time with it. Not a lot of people did. What did you think of it? Um, it was interesting to me how my usage changed over, I would say, the first 48 hours um, because I was initially compelled to open the phone every time I needed to do something and just get into the bigger screen. And then, you know, within two days, I was not. And, and by that, I mean that the external screen that a lot of people are complaining about because it's very small, uh, is, you know, is a 4.6 inch. Narrow and tall, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, and, I was using that as a triage screen. You know, I was doing a little bit like what I would do with my Apple Watch and iPhone, right? Where I see what's coming up or I could access the camera with with one, uh, actually two taps on the side. Uh, you know, I was doing those things that didn't require for me to get sucked into the phone. And when I wanted that and when I wanted to work or I wanted to to do something, watch something or or read something then i would open up and i would use the multi windows and the full window um there is a, a slight line in the middle where the phone actually bends that you kind of notice at first but then it goes away very quickly that uh, did not bother me at all it was easier 
to for my brain to process it out than the notch on on you know the, when we started the new notch generation of, of smartphones mm-hmm. but it's a similar thing you just don't notice it anymore um the the three lenses that you have on the side for the cameras making it a, a big notch for that phone uh again don't they're there they're not pleasing to the eye but when you're watching especially when you're watching uh, a video content um there's a all that part is blacked out on the screen so they go away and so basically you don't use that part of the of the screen similar to what you could do if you wanted to on uh, on the iphone where you have a line that goes around the notch and so that gets blacked out um so you know i liked it i don't know that i spend enough time with it to really understand how my workflows would change uh but multi window was effective it would let me for instance have my twitter feed and my email up at the same time or uh again twitter and uh a browser if i was reading news or anything like that so did it really feel a little bit like you had an uh, a a small tablet like an ipad mini or something it was you, your, it was totally yes it was totally like having an ipad mini uh with me and i know that you know the temptation of saying well you know you can have a phone and a tablet uh, for way less than two thousand dollars very true uh but the idea that you have the two in the one device right. is quite liberating. Um, the weight of the phone you notice at first, uh, but it goes away, especially when you open it. It's, dris- it's well distributed because it's a bigger form factor. Um, and it's actually, I think it's an ounce lighter than the new uh, iPad mini. So you, you, that's the kind of weight that you carry around all day. Uh, but definitely got a lot of people attention i was at this conference in houston last week it was a robotics conference and i have this very sweet um 16 15 year old kid who saw me from across the room and at the end of the uh, panel that i was listening to he came up and he asked me i said i saw you you have a fold can i touch it <laughs> and it was really sweet and and man the guy knew his stuff obviously he read a lot of um uh, articles and, and news uh leading up to to the device the other question i had for you was about uh the, just just in terms of the size i've definitely heard people say that even folded up it is not a it is not the kind of device that is comfortable in a pocket um I, did you have any issue with just the you know carryability of it so it was interesting because um i I don't know that I would, I didn't put it in a pocket. I don't know I would, to be honest with you, because it is bulky. But I could never find it in my purse. Um, I have, you know, all my purses now are bought with an external pocket for the phone. And I measure that pocket before (laughs) I get the purse to make, because the phones, I I complain about this. It's like, man, you know, fashion need to keep up with the phones getting bigger and the pockets are no and i couldn't find it because although it's thick it's very narrow so it would kind of go to the bottom of that pocket um and it takes me um take me a second to um to find it but yeah it is not it's not something i would put in the back uh, you know the, the back pocket on on my jeans because yeah. it's yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's big it's definitely big it, it, it's thick 
Yes. I was going to say, this is this is a chance for men to experience what women have been experiencing for a while, which is a, <laughs> a phone that doesn't fit in a pocket. Yes, because our pockets are smaller than yours, mm-hmm. y'all. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The patriarchy is real, and it has a lot to do with pockets, which is a strange thing, but it's, uh, that's right. it's just, it, that's my wife and I have that conversation all the time. Why is it this way? Like, it's probably the patriarchy. Anyway, I've offended somebody <laughs> by saying this, and it turns out, just look it up, people. Uh, let's take a break, and let me tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Download brought to you by Direct Mail. Direct Mail is an easy-to-use email marketing app designed exclusively for the Mac to help you create and send great-looking email newsletters. Email marketing, still incredibly cost-effective. It's a great way to reach your customers and grow your business. So many people doing newsletters now, like email, is it gets in front of people's faces. People see stuff. In email, it's it's remarkably effective. It's surprising. Even in 2019, email is a great way to reach people. For the past 15 years, Mac users around the world have trusted direct mail to handle all of their email marketing needs. It's designed just for the Mac. It's fast. It's easy to use. It works great with other apps and services, the stuff you already use. With direct mail, you can quickly and easily compose high-quality emails. They look great on mobile. They look great on the desktop. You can get in-depth campaign reports that show you who is reading, clicking, and sharing sharing your newsletters, and you can save time by integrating with more than a thousand other apps and services on your Mac and on the web. They have a real human live chat customer support available to answer your questions if you have any. It's the number one top-rated email marketing app for the Mac, five-star reviews on the App Store and elsewhere, trusted by small businesses, nonprofits, schools, and Fortune 500 companies like Big and Small Trust Direct Mail. It's free to download and get started. Listeners to download can save 10% off of all full feature pricing plans go to directmailmac.com slash download fm and check it out that's directmailmac.com slash download fm and you'll get 10 percent off when you opt for a full feature plan thank you to direct mail for supporting download and all of relay fm okay let's move on to a little bit of apple stuff to talk about tim cook uh, made an appearance at the time 100 summit and uh, said some, you know, interesting things about regulation in the tech industry. And I feel like that has been a theme on this show for the last year, that the tech industry kind of recognizing that there is going to be regulation of the tech industry of some sort and trying to kind of get a look positive about it, get ahead of it, but possibly also sort of steer it in the direction that they would like to see it go. And Apple, of course, more than many other tech companies, has a business model that allows them to encourage certain yes. kind of things in terms of you know privacy and, and, and security and things like that. Um, he also uh, was asked about the uh, the FBI thing. Um, that happened a couple years ago, and he basically said it was a uh, it was a rigged case that the government was really just trying to um, push Apple into something that was not really necessary, and that the, if it had gone into court, they would have uh, they would have uh, uh, succeeded in the end. Um, how did how did you read Tim Cook going up there and saying, "Yep, let's uh, let's regulate the tech industry"? Well, I, I totally agree with you. That is easy er. Um, for a company like Apple that has a clear business model that is not, uh, you know, built on search and advertising to go out and call for regulations at a time where those are the business models that, uh, are being questioned. And so I, you know, it is interesting that it would call for regulation, but 
on those topics where he made it very clear what you know where Apple stands. I it's less clear what exactly he's thinking about, right? Because because there are people, even you know Zuckerberg says, "Oh yes, we welcome regulation as long as it's along the line of what we think yeah. and <laughs> uh, where you know we end up getting an advantage." Um, you know, so nobody really gets into the details of what they want. Uh, but there's no question that, you know, from a regulatory perspective, um, it seems that Apple doesn't have a great deal to fear from a business model perspective. Um, you know, they're not a company that goes off and buys large organizations and where, you know, that there might be a concern for a monopoly. Um, they are not built on advertising and, and, uh, and search. Um, they are pro privacy, uh, and security. So it, I don't know what, if there's a downside in talking about it that way. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if you look around at the large organizations, um, to me, you know, as a leader, it, Tink, I can see Tim Cook going and sitting at the table in Washington and, and talk about this. That's what he's done for a big part of his career, right? Is negotiated, is sitting down with, uh, um, it was supply chain back at the time, but, you know, that's what he's good at. Um, mm-hmm. And he's done that with China, you know, in, in his trips, he's done that with India, where it, it feels, it seems that he's very comfortable uh, talking to politicians about what needs to be done, either being like in India, as far as uh, producing uh, devices there and, and um, you know, what impact could they have on tax or in China. Um, so it, it, feel, it feels like a good fit. Yeah, it's funny. I I did not really think about it, but I wonder if his background in operations and dealing with large scale things has given him some sort of uh, insight or maybe he was always like this, but he's he is uh I think I don't want to say a good politician because it depends on your definition of a politician. And what right. he said at, to, at the time event was we focus on policies, on not policies, not politics. Yeah. And that's I think, though, it is politics of a sort, but it's a different kind. And I think that that's how he can get away with um you know, meeting what he, it, it, the way I read it is Apple has core beliefs, but they're trying to talk to, they will talk to anyone and everyone. And so he I will, agree. he will sit next to Donald Trump and yep. talk about the supply chain in China, but also talk about Apple's hiring in America. And I think he feels like it benefits Apple to say, look, we're not here to pick a political party in this country or any other, but we do have a set of of values and we're not going to let you, you know, define us based on a party, but we are going to stick to these values. And yes, of course, that's somewhat self-serving because he is the CEO of a company and, and he, he is trying to take care of the company. But I don't yeah. know. I think it's an interesting approach where he's not, uh, he's not trying to make enemies. He is, he, he is, he has this sort of like nonpartisan and yet, um, principled political, uh, a face that he puts forward. I think it's. I think it's kind of fascinating. Well, and and he's smart, right? Because that, that's what you need to do. Not getting to the table and sit down is not going to help you. Um, and so not showing up. We've seen that even in in Washington, right? When when Google didn't show up, that's not going to help you. Your voice is not going to be heard. You're not going to have a chance to tell your story and maybe you know change somebody's mind. So. I don't think that that people because you always have to think about 
what is, you know, and I think that was one of the questions uh, that they had for him. You know, how do you balance your belief in what you do with what people think of you? And, and you know, ultimately, he said, I don't really care what people think of me if I did the right thing. And I think that's true is, you know, you can't when you look at it from a business perspective, you can't blame somebody to for, for kind of going to Trump, sitting down and having a talk, um, although it depends on who that is. We'll maybe talk about Jack going yeah, and mm-hmm. sitting down. Um, but, you know, but, but I think that needs to be done, uh, especially when it is about regulators or or politicians. But I I did like the, the distinction because there is a distinction and obviously everything is intertwined. But um, he made it very clear he does not give money uh, to any party, to any politician, uh, whatever he does, uh, he does on under his name and not uh, not Apple. But he hasn't done that either. So it, it was quite fascinating. I, I thought he shared more than he usually does, and with um, uh, w- with a punch in his voice almost uh, in in some of the things that he said. I have another Apple story that uh, that we should at least touch on, which is the ongoing saga of the MacBook keyboard, which has been you know criticized for lots of reasons, but most notably, I think it's reliability and people saying that these things just break way too easily. Speaking of dust ingress for, and exactly. Samsung, <laughs> um, and, and there was a report on Mac rumors that uh, Apple is now prioritizing MacBook keyboard repairs and they want next day turnaround where they can replace the or or repair the keyboard in the store rather than shipping it offsite so that they can turn these around faster and that's it's interesting because it's another sort of like escalation in this conversation we've been having yeah. for a couple of years about these keyboards including the latest iteration of them just having reliability problems not everybody gets hit with them but i think if you're if you get a certain keyboard with a certain environment you will get hit with it at a rate that is much higher than anybody really would like yeah and it's interesting because i i made the the parallel and and it's not you know it's not samsung did this apple did that kind of thing but it it is actually a similar uh thing if you think about it right because they came up with a new butterfly keyboard there's a there's a new mechanism under these keys and it does seem that debris actually find their way uh, under there more easily uh so they put a silicone seal around it in the in the next version of it but that doesn't seem to um prevent uh, you know all the failures right. so there's there's been still incidents um happening and you know you want, one would argue that a keyboard is a pretty key part in your computer in your laptop especially because you can't take it off unless you're using a convertible <laughs> which apple doesn't make so yeah. right and so is um you know it's kind of been interesting but they have think about how when they launched the the um the first generation uh macbook with that uh with a keyboard how much they talked about this being an you know a new type of uh, keyboard and how they designed it and why they did it and you know that's the storytelling right um it, it still gets people upset that it is breaking down that's a different story but um but it is fascinating but it the response about the time the return it's been that, you know, people have 
endured quite a bit of downtime when they taken this these machines back to the Apple store to be serviced for the keyboard. And and a lot of people were complaining about that. Um so prioritizing this I think shows one that you know that they obviously heard enough. Hmm. Um and and two that maybe there are more than we thought or they thought. Uh, and this is now becoming a, a priority just so that people get their machines back quickly and possibly stop going on Twitter and complaining every day they have to wait for their computer to be back. Um, it'd be interesting what they're going to do and how they rethink this for the next model. Right. Because I don't know that this can continue to be the only option. Because now it's going to be every time there's a new machine, that's the first thing you're going to ask, right? It, what happened to the keyboard? What's the keyboard? Forget about, you know, the camera and how thin and the fanless design or whatever it is that they're going to come up with. It's like, what's the keyboard like? Yeah. the, the There are some rumors that there will be a new Apple laptop design that will be unveiled this summer, possibly at the developer conference in June. And yeah, all eyes on the keyboard for that one, which is, <laughs> it's funny how we, uh, how we got to this point, but um, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like the keyboard, but the, that is sort of like set that aside, the reliability issue where, Correct. and we don't know the details of it, right? It could be a relatively small failure rate, but you know, that doesn't mean that it's not, I mean, it could be that the normal fail, failure rate is X and the failure rate on this is 2x that's still a lot worse and it could be 5x i mean we, we just don't know yeah. only apple knows for sure and there are some people who have pointed out that a lot of people just suffer through it and that means apple doesn't necessarily know for sure because what that's apple true. thinks is the failure rate may not really be the failure rate um uh, it's interesting stuff. Uh, one other, speaking of uh, of CEOs and politics, as we did earlier, um, I should mention that Jack Dorsey, the CEO and co-founder of Twitter, went to the White House, met with the President of the United States. Um, it, it had to happen because he is the most prominent user of Twitter. The president of the United States is, and um, in, at the meeting he complained, as most Twitter users are want to do, about his follower count, and said he was have losing followers. And Jack basically said, uh, "Yeah, me too. We you lose followers <laughs> when we kick bots off of the service and spammers, and those weren't real people anyway, Mister President. That's not how it works. Uh, but uh, you know, it 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 had it really did have to happen. It did seem inevitable, right? Because Twitter is such a huge part." Of of uh of this presidency yeah and and i there are conversations where you say i wish i was this one really is one i wish i was a fly on the wall and just because i can't figure out how they could actually understand each other because <laughs> they have a two very different way of communicating right and uh it, it must have been really interesting um but the fact that I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, it was inevitable, but the fact that with all the things that's, that are going on in the world, the president takes time to <laughs> meet with, you know, Jack Dorsey to complain about his followers. <laughs> really? 
I mean, it, the optics of it is is potentially that it's, you know, it, it, this is a Twitter presidency and he is a tech industry leader and all of that. But uh, yes, the 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 background here is conservatives complaining that that uh, conservatives are yes. being shadow shadow banned and banned off of Twitter and, that and it's leading all, up to 2020. Yeah, yes. and it's all a conspiracy against conservatives um, by the liberals who run the uh, tech companies. That's the that's the argument. Um, and, you know, so Jack Dorsey gets to, to I mean, it really is like, can we get uh, Mr. Twitter in here to explain Twitter to the president? <laughs> yeah, Jack Twitter. Yeah, yes. Jack Twitter, um. founder of Twitter. Yes, that's how it works. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was a that was an interesting uh, little tech wrinkle to at least mention on the show. Um, let's take another break and I will tell you about our next sponsor. And then we have much more to talk about with Carolina. This episode of Download is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Okay, confession time. You, you think you're safe from criminals snooping your data, from bad people, from bad people who want to steal your data, or people who want to monitor you. Guess what? You're not. <laughs> but you can be safer if you encrypt your internet connection. That way, your passwords, your credit card numbers, your uh, anything you send, your Data packets sent over the internet can be shielded from prying eyes, whether they're just trying to resell your data or steal it and buy stuff with your credit card. That is why you need ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes all of your internet browsing and encrypts your data, even on a public uh, Wi-Fi that you might have where it's going unencrypted across uh, across the airwaves. Uh, your data won't be unencrypted because it'll be entirely encrypted in ExpressVPN, and it's hiding your public IP address. The app, to use it, super easy, runs in the background. You uh, do one tap, and you are completely protected. Uh, I use it on my iPad. It works great. Also works on the Mac, works on the iPhone, works on all devices that you could think of. Uh, and then you're then you're safe. Then you're free. Nobody can spy on your data as it's passing across that network because everything is encrypted. It, ExpressVPN rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and it comes back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like it, you can send it back. It's not actually something you send back. You would just say, I uh, want my money back. And that's fine because you're going to like it. You're going to like it. And for less than $7 a month, less than $7 a month, you get the same ExpressVPN protection that I've been using. If you ever use public Wi-Fi, if you are concerned that your ISP is looking at you, you want to keep the bad guys away, you want to protect your privacy on the internet, Use ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash download podcast to learn more. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free. Expressvpn.com slash download podcast. That's EXPRESSVPN.com slash download podcast for three months free with a one year package. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting download and all of Relay FM. Before we go on to our next set of topics, I want to tell you about a story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar, but is worth mentioning. And Stephen Hackett isn't here to do it this week, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story with you that I think Stephen would approve of. Uh, back in January, <laughs> we talked about CES. We had our CES draft, which was a lot of fun. And we also talked about all of those uh, vaporware kind of products that you see at CES. Sometimes you see them 
every year and they never ship. Well, I have some bad news for the people who really loved the fact that every year at CES, there was that laundry folding robot that was going to really ship sometime that year. And then the next year it would be back and changed and it was really going to ship. Well, I have bad news and also a bad pun alert for all of you listening. Uh, Seven Dreamers, the Japanese company behind the Laundroid, has folded. Oh, <laughs> I said it. Yes, it's out of business. It's bankrupt. It never got... It wasn't actually at this year's CES after a couple of years. Foldymate was at this year's CES. Uh, yes. Also hasn't shipped a product yet. But the uh, original folding robot, RIP, it is no more. It is an ex-robot. <laughs> oh, well, that's a story you might have missed. But I told you about it and made a pun. Uh, let's move on from laundry to, uh, uh, a topic that you and I have discussed on this show a lot. And I think it's interesting to, uh, to dive into it for, for a little bit. Um, uh, this is uh, a story in Wired, uh, from a few days ago about retaliation for Google employee activists who have who organized a walkout and they're planning a town hall meeting to talk about uh, they're criticizing Google and are claiming that they are being um, retaliated against for things like the uh, the AI Ethics Council um, and, and and other basically you know this trend which we've talked about on the show a lot about tech employees in Silicon Valley especially calling their employer. Uh, out for certain kinds of behavior. Famously, the Google employees who said that they didn't want their AI work used by the military in applications that would lead to people getting killed, that that wasn't what they were trying to uh, trying to do, and ethically they were against it. Um, but it is with everything going on at Google and all of the different dynamics between the employees and Google itself, it is a little bit troubling to hear this. This is like the second wave story, right? Which is you hear about people speaking out and you're like, okay, the employees are speaking out and now the employees who are speaking out are saying um my my career at google got harmed by me having an opinion yeah and and the end of it is you know the 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 end of the the article as well was hr saying no this is not true you know retaliation is not something that we allow um you know we'll look into it and it's like yeah okay that's the same thing that you said for uh, sexual misconduct, and yet we found out that you know stuff was going on. So I don't know at what point you're just becoming, uh, you're just not going to believe anything that comes out from a corporate voice, um, because yeah, sometimes you know people have their own agenda and they might, but. You know, this is more than one person saying that they were even demoted or, you know, work was taken away from them and there's a hostile environment uh, at work. And it's not has to, you know, the response doesn't even have to be something that obviously is encouraged or um, supported by, by corporate, but the very fact that a manager feels that he or she can do that, can take work away from somebody who spoke up or can demote somebody 
uh, and there are no check and bal- checks and balances there is what is troubling. Um, and we are in a world where it's easier and easier for people to, uh, to, to be open about this and talk about it and how, how this is allowed to happen is beyond me. Uh, you know, reading the, the article in Wired was, uh, was painful. Um, just because these are people that did nothing wrong but express their opinion about their employer. And, and I come, you know, coming from Europe and especially Italy where the unions are, are much stronger, um, than, than here in, in the US. That's what unions used to do, right? That's their job. And here we don't have that. And it's become more, um, especially not in tech, um, it's become more something that new generation, younger generation take upon themselves in going out and speaking their mind. And that's how it's going to be. And it's going to be more and more like that. Um, and corporations need to get used to it and, and address and deal with, um, what is happening in an intelligent way. You know, I think there's a distinction between business in my view and you know some of the choices that as a business uh your the company you're working for is making where you're you know you're saying you're not agreeing with where they're going but ultimately um if you really disagree you can pack up and go and find another job but then there's uh there's the other part where it is the way you work and the way you you know you're treated that's your right. You know, that th- there's, there's no abuse. There's no, um, ill treatment that, that can be allowed in an organization. So I make, you know, for me, the two are slightly different, but ultimately both are, are something that is going to come out in, in the discussion. And I don't think that new organization are necessarily well equipped to, or showing to be well equipped to deal with it. Yeah, the word retaliation always gets me because as a former manager in California, I had to go to sexual harassment training every yeah. two years. And um, that always struck me as being the uh, like the clearest part of it, which is retaliation is the thing you cannot do, which is if somebody brings something up and then it is perceived that they were punished for bringing it up. Right. That is, uh, or, or if somebody, you know, or resists an advance or whatever it is, but it's the retaliation. Like you can see it, it can be investigated, it, you know, their job changing, not getting promotions are all sorts of things that you can, it, it, it's, it, it's much clearer <laughs> in terms of the evidence than, than some other stuff it can be. And so when I was reading the story, I'm like, you know, this is somebody at Google, and perhaps they're already doing this now because they've had to deal with this. But like, once somebody is outspoken, uh, you need, if you weren't already doing it, you need to make it clear to their manager that right. they need to document everything and they need to be by the book and they need to absolutely not retaliate <laughs> against them. Because I, I think it's just really easy for somebody to be like, oh, there's such a pain. I'm not going to deal with it. I don't want to deal with them anymore. And and not think of it that way. But it's like, no, that's retaliation. If you if you do that and they will be able to look at their, uh, you know, their job and how it changed and find evidence. So it is, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm going to say, I think, not to generalize, but I think Silicon Valley companies in general have a very loose 
um, definition of management. Yes. <laughs> and it leads to cultures that have not only issues of harassment and things like that, but stuff like this where I just look at it and I think this is fundamental professionalism about being a manager yeah. that is lost upon, I'm sure not the HR department necessarily at Google, but uh, the people who are managers at, at places like Google, where they just they just don't get it and they need to get it because you know i know it doesn't feel like an incredibly important job to be a manager at google but it is including you know retaliation not being acceptable but but and i think that's it right not being acceptable and i think that should have been made made clear not here are the things that you should be careful about because it could be misinterpreted whatever but it's like we are not going to take this so you know these employees went out and spoke out and expressed their opinion and they're entitled to yes, do that allowed, and we support them mm-hmm. right I mean, that's where the part where it's missing. And on the other side, you know, HR, whoever the case may be saying, if something happens to you, you can write and talk to us about it because we will not send, you know, we will defend you. We will not accept that. Right. To understand that the culture is that they can say what they want and that needs to absolutely not influence how you view them as an employee Uh, because because the scrutiny will now be greater because they have Correct. spoken out and and Correct. you know you might have been a little loosey goosey with your management style in terms of who gets promoted and who gets what job before but now all eyes are on you you have to do it by the book yeah and you have, the book is do not pay attention to this aspect of it and that, that's an order from the company um you know it, it it's not rocket science but it, it's clearly not something that's going on at a lot of uh a lot of tech companies. It seems to me that this speaking up and, oh, look how great our employees are that are, you know, speaking up and, you know, going and marching and doing these things um, is supported when it makes the company look good, but not so much when it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, you know, this double standard as well as to, oh, we're so you know, open-minded and we allow and blah, blah, but not really. Yeah. Well, and it also could be that the company really does believe it's highfalutin things of like, yes, True. criticism is fine, but down in the trenches, the manager of somebody who's outspoken and having news stories written about them and is uh, being quoted. Does you not. Know, yeah. And they're, they're like, oh, being. they're such a pain and they're always doing this stuff and they're now an agitator and everybody, all my, all my peers as a manager know that I'm their manager and all of that. Like, and that's, <laughs> that's where, that's where the organization has to go and say, no, <laughs> you yeah. no. The, we we mean it. You can't do that. That's and right. That seems to be, if, if I were to guess, that seems to be probably where the disconnect is here. Um, a story that I saw and I thought, I bet Carolina would like to talk about this, is our last, uh, our last big story here, which is a really nice piece by Annalise Griffin at Quartz called What the Coded Sexist Language Used to Describe Pinterest Tells Us About the Company. Pinterest is going to do an IPO. They are expected to be valued over $10 billion. But what this story points out is all the ways that Pinterest is described when it's being written about. Things like the stigma of having mostly women as its users. Um, lots of cute things about moms and cupcakes. Uh, and, and I think it's a really interesting point that in our, in, our, in our conventional narrative about tech companies, there are assumptions made that you don't necessarily notice until you see how Pinterest is treated, because Pinterest is not treated like those other tech companies. It, it was fascinating, um, and, and thank you for flagging it, because I had missed the article. Uh, it, it beautifully written, but I got to the end of it, and I was so depressed. <laughs> 
<laughs> because I never actually thought about it that way. Never occurred to me. Um, and maybe because in our house, everybody used Pinterest for very different things. Um, you know, my husband looks at it for landscaping and uh, I used to do it true for, you know, uh, parties at school and how many different cupcakes can you decorate for all the parties that you have. But I also use it for work and air style for my daughter and, you know, all different things. Um, a lot of STEM stuff. There's actually a lot of um, great ideas for STEM projects for kids. And so there's everything that you can possibly imagine as far as topics. It does you know, it does seem to be that people only point out the cupcakes and the rainbows, um, but that's not all of it. And what is wrong with having a, an install base of users that are mostly women? Every freaking else is men and nobody complains about that. So that's the part where I was like, okay, so I'm a liability if I'm a woman, uh, you know, as part of a user base instead of an asset. Because that's how some are talking about it uh, when it comes to the IPO, the fact that they, you know, they're failing to appeal to uh, a male audience. And it's like, okay, so how many companies are out there that are doing the opposite? <laughs> exactly. I mean, to me, I look at this and I think Pinterest should be way more valuable because it is uh, appealing to a demographic that is not appealed to by so many of the other uh, sites. And, and instead, it gets viewed as, well, I don't know, they have a man problem. There's not enough men on that service. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. But it, like right down to the wording, which is what one of the things I liked is yes. the, the the wording of it, where they start talking about chick flicks and moms and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and things like that. And you know, it, it's funny because it's it's not like men don't use it, as you said. It's not like men didn't found the company, but it is a place that, for whatever reason, the choices they made that women have found it to be. Um, useful at a level that other services have lacked. And yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, if you're looking at a, a lot, and I don't know, because this is just thinking from when I read the article and, you know, I'm, I'm really itching now to write something about it. Um, because I think that, that one, for me, one big appeal is there's no hate on Pinterest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's a very safe environment and there's a very positive environment too you know everybody's sharing their best um you know it's and and you know and laugh at some of the stuff that are shared where things didn't go so well when it comes to i don't know costumes or stuff like that but it, it is a very positive experience when you go on it and and you come away and maybe that's why there's more women than men and maybe that's why it is the way it is right that it, it is um i don't know it's like an happy place and what's wrong with that so it is fascinating to me when it didn't it came out the way it is but not intentionally um and if you start to look at it more as, okay, they, they, you know, started out as an idea. It so happened that it panned out to have more women. And because of that, or maybe it's another coincidence, but I think it's more because of that. It is a safer, happier, you know, better environment that all the other um, social media sites that we're on. Then what 
you know, what's bad about it? And let's try and actually look and learn of why that is the way it is. Um, and it's one of the things that I pointed out a while ago, I wrote an article about, you know, how a lot of tech companies ignore women. Um, and I'm not talking about addressing women um, intentionally where, you know, you end up painting something pink or whatever, and you think you're addressing women, right? But we are not even part of what a company thinks their addressable market is. That's the majority of cases, either because, you know, my husband's name is on my credit card or whatever the case might be. I'm not the potential buyer in people's mind. And this is this is how it is. And and it's fascinating to me that with Pinterest, I don't think that, like you said, you know, the founders were men. It didn't come out addressing women or men. It came out as this is it. And women took it and, and, and made it what it is today. I see that as a plus and truly, you know, letting, if you like, the the website take a life on its own. Um, well, it shows how how your decisions are. It, I I think your decisions influence the audience you get, and that um, you may correct. not understand the decisions you're making at the time you're making them. But I feel like we've got enough uh, miles uh, mileage under us on the internet now that we can look and say perhaps there's a lesson to be learned here about why Pinterest is successful and successful with women and a more pleasant place to be. What and learn from it, right? Like what are the decisions they made that led to this uh, company being the way it is versus the decisions made at Twitter or facebook or other places that's like right that. that's right yeah i i feel an article coming up on that great that's part, <laughs> that's that's the the virtuous cycle of podcasting is that you talk about articles and then you get article ideas and then you write articles and then ideally then you talk about the article you wrote and that's how <laughs> i do it too so uh welcome to my world and uh, i look Thank forward you. to reading your article uh, before we go we like to have a happy moment i'm uh, sorry about that laundry uh robot that that uh that went out of business I know, earlier. I see, so, you ruined my my mother's day. Yeah, it's terrible. So I'm going to bring this. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back around. Now, two weeks ago, you sent me a story from Italy about a Rottweiler who got its head stuck in bars, and a group of cyclists in uh, uh, saw this and came over and pried the bars so that the dog could escape. And uh, what I have to say is, what is it about Rottweilers? Because this week's fuzzy puppy update oh. is about a Rottweiler who got its head stuck in a cinder block in one of those big cinder blocks with the two holes in them and it's got its head this is fifi uh, her oh. head her head was stuck in the cinder block and uh <laughs> she's a six month old rottweiler puppy and uh this was in florida so florida dog i guess i have to say is this is a florida dog got her head stuck in a cinder block but it happens in italy too it's not just florida anyway firefighters came to the scene tried to use soap and water to to get her out uh didn't work and so yes they brought in the jaws of life and the jaws of life split open the cinder block freeing fifi from her uh her torment trapped in the uh, in the cinder block and again i say what is it about rottweilers sticking their heads in where they, they don't belong but fifi is fine i have fine, to though. say that i think that's owner 
uh, error there. <laughs> she might have thought she was a chihuahua called Fifi and didn't quite realize the size of her head. <laughs> she thinks she's a smaller dog than she actually is. It could, it could be. Anyway, Fifi is fine. And there are pictures with the link in the show notes. Well, actually, there's a little slideshow where you can see the poor dog stuck in the cinder oh. block and then happily, of course, released from that. So that uh, that fuzzy puppy update brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Carolina, thank you so much for uh, spending some time talking about what uh, what happened this week. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter a lot of uh, of the time. I, I'm still there. <laughs> uh, I, on uh, Caro, C-A-R-O underscore Milanese, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. Uh, I have a weekly column on uh, uh, techpinions.com and I have a brand new website where I discuss diversity and education, two topics that I care a lot about, uh, that is called The Heart of Tech. All right. Excellent. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Stephen Hackett will hopefully be back from his, uh, his, uh, his sojourn next week. But until then, we will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.